Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Okay, friends, we are going to continue our worship gathering, and we're going to do that by reading from some scriptures that will guide our time uh, in the Word and as we approach the table. So we have two scripture readings today and two scripture readers, therefore, and so I don't know who they are, though. So if you're reading scripture, wave your hands frantically at me. No one's waving their hands frantically at me. Oh, hey, it's <laughs> just, where are you? Uh, you're over here. Okay, great. Come on forward, and let's, uh, let's start with our scripture reading. The first one's coming from the book of Numbers, which is always a barn burner. <laughs> numbers, uh, we good? Numbers. Hello? Hello. I can just talk really loudly if you want me to. Hello? (laughs) All right. Numbers 21, 4 through 5. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people uh, became impatient on the way. People spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Hello. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You were dead through the sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Uh, Appreciate you reading that. And uh, let's start with a moment of prayer here. I'll pray a a colic to collect ourselves to gather us together. Join me. Gracious God, you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours. You know my misformed structures that hold me in bondage to less than your loving purposes. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way in those areas of my life. And so would you hear the deep cry of my hidden heart for wholeness, and by your grace, enable me to be open to your transforming presence. Amen. 
Okay, uh, Chrysostom says, find the door to your heart and you will find it to be the door to the kingdom of God. And so as we begin our uh, third week, fourth week of Lent, and we are journeying into our hidden hearts, uh, into the chambers within, into the deep inner labyrinths of our heart. We're asking God to enthrone truth there. And we started that discussion last week. When I say we're asking God to enthrone truth in our hearts, what I don't mean is doctrinal truth, good ideas about theology, right thinking about God. Those things are really important, but that's not what I mean. I'm talking about the truth of what is dominating your belief structures that impact how you show up to daily life. I'm talking about what do you really believe deep down is the story of life and the story that God has for you. Often we live from lesser gospels, not really believing for our own lives how good God's news is. And so we believe in God, but we don't believe God. Instead, what we believe are lesser scripts, lesser narratives, lesser truths, and we have uh, a, a mental assent to God's truth, but an inner agreement with a lesser word that tells us uh, that we're not enough, that we are at stake, all those things that we talked about earlier. And so we're asking ourselves the question, could the living presence of Jesus really break into my life in a meaningful way? And so in the Father's house, Jesus says there are many rooms, and he says, my Father and I make our house in you. And so in our hidden hearts, in some meaningful way, the Father is home there, are we. And that's what we talked about last week. We want to meet him there, journey with God, not only into the rooms of our hearts that are nicely swept and neatly decorated, but also into the rooms where there are monsters, where there are things that feel dark and frightening. We want to journey with God there too. And so as I said last week, this is the task of spiritual formation which is a phrase we use often at the parish. I want to spend some time over the next few weeks trying to define what I actually mean when I say that. Not take it for granted that we may not all have the same working understanding of what that means. And so we're going to step through a road map, a trail guide, of how we might be spiritually formed as followers of Jesus. To do that, we're going to start by just rewinding all the way back to the beginning, because whenever we're talking theologically, it's important to remember what was God's intent at the start of all of this. It's a really helpful theological question. What did God have in mind at the very beginning? And so if we go all the way back, Genesis 1, first chapter of the Bible, what we get is this. So God created humankind in his image. In the reflection of his nature, God created them. In the reflection of his nature, God created them. And so from the start, human wholeness has been associated with the image of God. There is something bound up in our wholeness tied to the likeness of God that has always been God's intent for us. And of course, that image along the way has been disfigured and disordered and, uh, and, and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, it's, been, it's had things placed on it that have muted and diluted what that image is. There was this time where McKenna was probably, McKenna's my oldest daughter, uh, when she was four or so, she had worked really, really hard on a painting uh, as kids do and like had put their whole her whole heart into this painting 
And then her little sister, Brooklyn, probably like one and a half, two at this time, got a hold of the painting because this is what happens. When kids have worked really hard on something, their siblings find it and destroy it. And so as you would expect, uh, you know, Brooklyn, our little one, gets a hold of this painting, crumples it all up, and I remember McKenna running in going, my painting, my painting. Like, Brooklyn crumpled my painting, now I have to flatten it out again. And I imagine that is something like the work of Jesus when he comes to restore the image that God created in the first place. Jesus comes not just to heal a sin problem. Certainly, the the healing and the forgiveness from sin is part of the story, but it's not the whole story. Instead, what Jesus is doing, in addition to just healing the sin problem, is coming to remind us what the image of God is and restore us back to that image. And so Jesus comes as the perfect picture of who God is. Colossians chapter uh, 1, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect picture of who God is. He is the exact representation of, of God. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. We had lost sight of the image of God, but here's Jesus saying, look at me if you have seen the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so you can just look at me and be reminded what the image of God is. And so we have humans made in the likeness of God. We have the disfigurement of that image. We have the perfect reminder of what that image is. And this gives birth to New Testament spirituality because Paul comes along and says, yes, Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is and the fullness of God dwells with him. And then he goes on in Ephesians 3 to say, and my prayer is that you would have the fullness of God dwell in you also. The same thing that he says about Jesus, he says, my prayer is that would happen for you also. And if this sounds outlandish, that we might be remade into the image of God, Peter says, would you become participants of the divine nature? That's my prayer for you, that you would become participants of the divine nature. And so, as we continue to read in the New Testament, Paul says, beholding the glory of the Lord as we see Jesus, in other words, we are changed into that same likeness. And when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And so, what is true of Jesus, we are invited to make true of our lives, that we might be more reformed into the image of how we were created in the first place. The more we become like God, the more we become like ourselves, as God intended intended us to be. And so, yes, we have been malformed, and we see the malformation of the world all around us, but now we might be reformed into the image of God. That's what we mean when we say spiritual formation. And to the degree that we are reshaped in the image of God, we become more whole and more healed, and then we pass that wholeness and that healing along to other people in our lives, and then they do the same. And exponentially what happens is healed people heal people, and those healed people heal people, and eventually the world is healed. God could have just flattened the whole picture out on his own, but instead Jesus comes, shows us what the flat picture might look like, invites us to flatten our little part of the picture that the whole picture might eventually spread out into healing. We have a meaningful role to play. And so God's plan is to heal the world for us and then through us. And that brings us to what we're going to use as our definition for spiritual formation. 
And this comes from Robert Mulholland, who is a great professor of New Testament at Asbury Seminary. He was one of the adjunct professors in my master's program and had a really meaningful impact on me and the way I think about this. And so he, uh, I'm going to borrow a lot from his material over the next few weeks because we can't improve on it. <laughs> and so he says this, that spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. The process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And we're going to just break that down over the next few weeks. And today we're going to really zoom in on the idea of process. What does it mean that spiritual formation is a process. Because once we hear it's a process, we do what good Americans do, and we go to extremes. And there's usually two baits of extremes that we may jump to with this. And the first is to opt out altogether. If something's a process, no thank you. I want nothing to do with it, right? And we're just like, I, I don't need anything else in my life. And so I'm just going to opt out. And the problem is we can't just opt out. Because spiritual formation is not the extra credit expansion pack. It's not the optional power-up add-on to our otherwise Christian lives. It is life. We are shapeable spiritual beings. And everything in life is having an impact on us. We are malleable. And because of that, life is always shaping us. You are being spiritually formed right now, in this moment, throughout this day, and in every moment of your life, whether aware of it or not. It's just a primal reality of our existence. And so every thought, every decision, every action, every reaction, every response, every relationship is shaping us somehow. And so the question is not, do I want to sign up for this whole kind of extra level spiritual formation thing? Or can I just kind of be content with like a faith that says like, Jesus saves me the end. Like it's not that simple. Instead, we are being shaped, and the question is not if we're being shaped, but instead, what direction are we being shaped? Are we being shaped into an image of the wholeness of Christ or a destructive caricature of that image that inflicts its brokenness on others and the world around us? We can be saved either increasingly into agents of God's healing or carriers of the sickness of the world. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, he says, every time you make a decision, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God, others, and itself, or into a state of war and hatred with God, others, and yourself. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. So which direction are we being formed? And I think this is what Paul's getting at in the Ephesians reading that Ryan read for us a moment ago. He says, you used to walk in the course of life. There is a course of life that had to do with the desires and passions of your flesh, which is uh, Paul's way of talking about kind of the, the self that is functioning outside of the Christ self. So you're following the passions of your flesh, and that's a course for life. And then he says, but you are invited instead into a new way of life, and that new way of life leads to good works. And when you hear good works, don't get hung up around legalism and works versus faith. That's not the conversation. What Paul is saying here is there's something being reshaped in you, and it's going to show up in a good way to the world. It's a whole new way of living. 
And so the Christian journey then is an intentional commitment to a long obedience in the same direction, to showing up every day, showing up again, showing up again, showing up again that we might slowly be formed into greater Christ-likeness. And that doesn't come natural to us. It doesn't come natural to us. And that's the numbers reading that, that Josh read for us. Like, in the wilderness, the Israelites become impatient on the way. And they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're grouchy. And uh, a lot like uh, how it was at bedtime in my house last night, which lots of hunger and thirst and grouchiness, especially coming from me. We're impatient along the way. And, uh, and, and that happens in the wilderness. And so what happens is, if I know I can't take the first bait of opting out, then what we want to do is take the second bait, which is, if this is going to be a journey, how can I finish that journey as soon as possible? How can I arrive at the finish line of this process? Because we are conditioned to expect immediate returns. We are conditioned for instant gratification. So how can I win this race? How can I get this over with? And if you don't think that kind of impatience marks your life, I will ask you how you feel when the Wi-Fi goes down. <laughs> how do you feel when you're on the one-lane road and that person in front of you is doing what they do, which is going 15 miles under the speed limit? That there's one of those people in the whole county, but they're always the one in front of you on the one-lane road. Uh, how do you feel when you put your quarter in the vending machine and something doesn't come out? Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever observed someone have this experience? Because they will start yelling at a machine. They will start hitting a machine. We grab it and start shaking it, right? Because like the Doritos matter that much to us to get them out of the vending machine. And we want to approach our spiritual lives in these same ways. We want to drop the quarter in the slot and see spiritual formation come down. But it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And so spiritual formation as a process is going to reveal our demanding toward God and toward life. We have a demanding, unspoken expectation toward God about our lives. And when something breaks down, we assume God's role is to fix it as soon as possible. And often this shows up in our prayer life. Spiritual formation unveils our harsh impatience with our own development. When I was, uh, first uh, became a Christian, I was in this church that had a lot of pressure put a lot of pressure to like, go save the world right now. And you know, as like a good Enneagram three, I was like, I will. If no one else will, I will. And uh, I used to pray this prayer every day. And I still remember the exact words of it because this was one of my core prayers. Here's what I would pray. God, expedite processes in me so that what take others years and months will take me weeks and days. How arrogant is that prayer? How impatient, how harsh toward myself. Because God can't save the world without Jordan having processes expedited in himself, right? But I meant it. I meant it. And we don't want to go on the process. Spiritual formation as a process resists the assumption that if I could just find the right technique or the right tool or the right approach, then it would all click. It's good to practice spirituality. It's good to practice right techniques and tools. But there is no shortcut to the process. We'll start to wind this down. Uh, 
with this, that spiritual formation then is going to be something we understand is patterned after our physical growth. My brother just had a baby, a couple weeks old. And how strange would it be if he put baby Owen to bed in a crib and came back the next morning to find a teenager there? Like that is something out of a horror movie, right? And yet how often do I want this in my life? Right? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do my prayer time today, and I really need that breakthrough revelation that's going to change the next five years of my life in the next 15 minutes, if you please. Right? And so, uh, instead, like a child, a healthy formation is the growth into maturity in a slow but steady way. And there are growth spurts. There are moments where all of a sudden, like, just in a leap and bound, we change. And those things should be celebrated. Those things should be remembered, but they are not the whole journey. And if we think they are, we are not prepared to keep showing up with God for the long haul. What we'll do instead is turn an idol into whatever caused that growth spurt, right? Like, oh, that really like had an impact. So I'll just keep doing that. We try to recreate the environment to make it happen again. Let's end with this. There are times then that we don't think we're growing at all. We talk about spiritual formation as a journey, as a process. And sometimes it's like, I have just been doing this same thing for decades or years, and it feels like I'm going nowhere at all. What then, God? Like, what then, God? This is what the church fathers and mothers called the desert experience. This, too, is a normal part of our journey in the life of Christ. It doesn't mean something went wrong. It doesn't mean God has lost us on the way. Instead, it just means that God is doing nourishing, nurturing work deep down within us, and we can't yet sense it. And so it's really important in those times of spiritual stalling and plateauing that we just do our best to keep showing up, keep showing up, keep trusting George MacDonald says this, he says, to give us the spiritual gift we desire, God begins far back in our spirit, in regions unknown to us, and he does work that we can only be aware of in its final results. In the gulf of our unknown being, God works behind our consciousness with his holy influence, with his presence. He may be approaching our consciousness from behind, coming forward through regions of our darkness into our light long before we become aware that he has even answered our request. He has answered it, and he's visiting his child. And so if you find yourself today in one of those desert, dry, spiritual moments, that's part of why we do the season of Lent. It helps us know that that's a normal part of the story. And we're invited to keep showing up to meet God there. I'm going to stop there, and we'll pick it up uh, a little bit more next week. So we're going to give our kids a little time, because I did not stop where I told them I was going to stop. And instead, we're just going to move to a, a time of confession here. So what I'd like to ask you to do is just uh, become aware of your own heart and the places where there is that hurried posture. Where in your spirit, where in your soul, are you like the guy on the one-lane road and God's like the guy in front of you? And we're agitated at him. And we're confused because we thought this would go faster. 
take a moment and bring that confession to God this morning. And now in your liturgy, you'll find the confession that's written there. And let's just say this together. It starts with, God, help us find our confession. Let's say this. Would you join me? God, help us find our confession. The truth which is hidden uh, within us, which is hidden from our mind. The beauty or ugliness we see elsewhere, but never in ourselves. The stowaway which has been smuggled into the dark side of the heart. Lead us into the darkness that we may find what lies concealed, that we may confess it toward the light. This week, I would invite you to keep bringing that confession of all the places you wish this were not a process, of all the places you wish you could at least control the process, and come into a place of surrender and detachment that is appropriate for this Lenten season. And may Almighty God have mercy upon you and forgive you May he forgive you of your sins, restore you, and heal you. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.